Hey, this is Jim, and you're listening to the podcast edition of the Jim Toth Show. Hear us live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Well, happy Monday, everybody. Happy post-Canada Day long weekend, and happy 4th of July to all our American friends and colleagues down south as we start this week of July going into the NHL draft. The news of the day and this morning was the hiring of head coach Rick Bonus, who announced a new associate coach of the team, is Winnipeg's very own Scott Arneal, and he joins me now. Mr. Arneal, welcome back to the city. I know you're probably already here, but how are you? I'm good, Jim. Great to great to be talking to you again. Yeah, it's great to be talking to you again, and great to have you on the program and uh, talk about how this all came about. Rick just joined us on Jets at Noon and was talking about this came about real quick. Hopes to have the rest of the staff in place in the next couple of days, but you have jumped on board on this. Uh, tell us how it happened, Scott. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a strange and different uh, kind of way it came about. Um, you know, I know it's no secret. I was interviewing for the head coaching job and uh, I'd never had any talks whatsoever with Chevy or anybody about associate position. And, um, you know, it got down to the situation where, you know, everybody's waiting to see what Barry Trotz was going to do. And, um, you know, once Barry decided that he wasn't going to take the job, I know that, uh, you know, Chevy called a, you know, a lot of, a bunch of us back in for second interviews and, you know, I had met uh, last Monday with uh, Chevy and the staff and the Zinger and uh, Larry. And, um, you know, was kind of waiting to see where everything was going to go. And, you know, I got the phone call Friday morning from Chevy. And, uh, you know, it, he mentioned that, um, you know, there's lots of speculation out there. And uh, he mentioned that he was, you know, they're moving on to someone else to give the head coaching position to. And, you know, and obviously I was like everybody. And I had never heard anything about Bones' name or anything like that. And, he had mentioned Rick, and it really implored me because uh, I, you know, wasn't Rick and I had real good friends, but I understand too that it was a, you know, a quick uh, process for him as well. And um, you know what, uh, Rick told me, uh, asked me, you know, he mentioned it. We talked, uh, asked if I'd be interested in uh, being an associate. Uh, Chevy, same thing, asked if I would be something I'd consider. And I mean, truly and honestly, I don't think I would have done it with anybody else. Um, if somebody else had got the job, I think that uh, Bones and I, we have a relationship that goes back to 1981, and um, we've been great friends ever since and uh, had chances to work, you know, play for him, work with him. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it just fell right into my lap. And, you know, for family-wise, uh, it couldn't have been a better scenario for me. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people who know you, Scott, and your family think this is an easy decision, but you were under contract with Washington yet, and then, as you mentioned, uh, you were you know a little disappointment because you're hoping for the head job, and then this happens. It's must have been a, a couple interesting couple of days for you to sort of come to this conclusion where you're back in Winnipeg and back on the Jets bench. Well, yeah, you know, we'd actually uh, had a talk with my wife. Uh, I think it was uh, Thursday night, and we just said because there was rumblings that somebody else had been offered the job, and I just you know we had talked about what we wanted to do and. Um, you know, we've always made it work. Uh, you know, we we moved to other places, but uh, you know, that was in New York and then it was in Washington. So it was just a case of I just said that look at if it's you know if it's not us as a head coach, then you know I'm going to go back to uh, back to Washington, and I, that's why I was so floored when Chevy phoned me and uh, and mentioned uh, that it was Bones and um, it was getting the job, and I, it just like it caught me so off guard. And then you know we you know we talked about it over the weekend with uh, as a family and. You know, my, my my daughter's in North Dakota, my son's in Minnesota, you know, so it, it, everything, it just, it was just a perfect scenario, and then to come back here where it all started for me, 
uh, a long time ago. It's just it, it's the perfect fit. Now, along with the position, and we'll get to that momentarily, Scott. But as you were mentioning it, it must. Uh, this is a rare opportunity, and like you said, you most of the hockey world was following Barry Trot's decision, and I, I don't know what Barry's was thinking. I haven't talked to him, but I would assume the fact that it was here in his home province is what made it such a difficult decision whether to take it or not. Um, was it the same for you? Just understanding that you know you had a pretty good job with Washington. You guys have had a, a good roster there, but. As you said, the chance to work in in this province where your family is was based is based with your wife. Um, did that play into it at all? As you you were mentioning there. Well, for me, everything um, you know, everything kind of changed uh, when you know Winnipeg made their decision that they were going to look for a new head coach. I mean, I've been since my last job. I mean, I've been working eleven years to be prepared. I have interviewed for some other jobs, but I don't know if I've ever put as much detail and as much work into getting prepped for this job to be the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, like, uh, for me, this is a still a really good hockey team. The pieces are a lot of pieces in, are in place. To me, they have a top five goaltender. There aren't many guys like, uh, like Hellebuck uh, in the league, and, and that's a, you know, a huge bonus. So I, I just looked at this team and felt that, you know, that if I could be, you know, if it was the head coach, this is the team that I wanted. And then obviously all my history here uh, over the years, whether it's with the Jets or whether it was with the Moose, um, you know, that all certainly played into it. My wife being from here, we spend summer here anyways. But, it, I, you know, it was just, it was never, it had never ever been offered to me before. It was never available before. And this was just the perfect sort of scenario for me. And that's why I put everything into it. And then, yeah, very disappointed when I didn't get the head job, but I'll tell you what, I'm I'm over that. I'm excited now because I Bones and I have a great relationship, and I'm still I'm so excited. I still think it's a great hockey team that can uh, that can move forward and have great success. Well, let's get into that. And uh, you're accustomed to good hockey teams and seeing playoff teams in the Rangers, and and of course your time here as the Moose head coach, but also most recently with Washington. You mentioned the pieces here. Um, how close is this team? And 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 I know you're probably not going to comment too much on last year, but uh, what do you think they need? What the changes? What will you and Rick and the rest of the staff be focusing on with this group? Well, Rick and I haven't really got in too in depth on it, uh, but. It's no secret that you know our play without the puck is going to have to get better, um, and and that's not a hard that's not coming in and saying oh we're just going to be a defensive team because I think this is a, a great transition team. There's an unbelievable amount of skill and speed uh, up front, real mobile defense. So the offensive side I think is still going to be there, um, but I I think that you know our play without the puck is going to have to improve, and that means. Um, you know how we defend, how we get that, how hard we work to get that puck back. Uh, you know, least amount of time we spend in our end of the rink. Those are all areas that allow all that does is lead to better offense. So Rick has his things that he did in Vancouver, Tampa, uh, Dallas. Uh, you know, I have stuff that I've done in New York and Washington that you know we'll try to all mix together. Uh, the other assistant coaches that we bring in, you know, we'll, we'll certainly have you know talk about that, but. More than anything, the area for me, and that's what the league is about, if you can defend in your specialty teams, uh, um, and that'll be an area that we need to improve as well, but if you're strong in those uh, those three categories, uh, that leads to pretty successful hockey. Uh, any concerns about how the roster might look, or is that just another offseason in your experience that most rosters change at some point or another? Yeah, well... Certainly the last few years of COVID, uh, you know, with expansion with Seattle coming in, it's 
everybody's been kind of hit with different scenarios that going back to even when Vegas came in. So um, there's a lot more things happening, a lot more things in play now. It seems like in the NHL, and um, I'm not I'm not coming in here day one, you know, talking roster. I, I mean, I'm going to do. Rick's already started with his. Uh, phone calls and talking to players, that's my next uh, step is I want to build relationships with people and I think that's uh, one of my strong suits and uh, I'm really going to try to just, you know, talk to these players and, you know, we'll we'll, we'll talk as a staff, the Chevy and his staff and, you know, we'll, we'll go down that road when we need to but, you know, it's a busy week, obviously, with Rick, Rick coming in, myself coming in in the draft uh, this week and then a free agency, so It'll become uh, a lot will happen here, but at the end of the day, we'll just uh, you know work together and see where we end up in September with our roster. How close or how far do you think this roster is in your mind, Scott? Uh, I think it's a playoff roster, and then anything anything happens after that. I mean, it's the hard part is you got to eliminate eight good teams in the West, and uh, you know we're in a tough division. Uh, you know, the Stanley Cup champions are in this division. St. Louis, who just won recently, is in this division, so. Uh, the high water mark is right there in front of us. So, um, you know, but I do believe that, you know, I do believe this is a, a playoff team and uh, it starts with your goaltending. And um, I think we have a terrific goaltender. And I think it's, uh, we built from the net out. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we have just as uh, good a chance as anybody to get into that dance. And once you're in, the, in that playoff dance, uh, as we saw this year, anything can happen. Are you going to have to help out at home a lot more this winter? Or are you afraid of that? <laughs> I actually got asked that already by my wife, uh, and uh, I was trying to trying to defer, but she's not letting me defer. So, but uh, uh, yeah, we'll we'll offer. I was trying to get something put in my contract on that, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I was just wondering with the congratulations <laughs> and the dinner if there was any. Oh, the eavesdrops won't have to be hired out this year and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to shovel some snow, I guess, and cut the lawn. Hey, Scott, it's, in my opinion, it's a great hire. Um, uh, you're a well-sought-after coach uh, for many reasons around the league, and I think it's great that you are, are back in the fold and see what you and Rick can get done going forward. So congratulations on the move. I know you're excited about it. Thanks for joining us. Uh, enjoy the rest of the summer. I know we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Jim. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Scott Arneal, new associate coach with the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> Dolphin Country Music Fest on the weekend and also Super Spike coming up. We talked to the proprietor of Super Spike and just an all-around good guy. Greg Pashushnik joins me now. Greg, how are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, Jimmy? Doing well. Super Spike back July 22nd, 23rd. I want to talk to you about that. But first and foremost, you were up at uh, Dolphin Country Music Fest and we're talking about festivals going into the weekend. And as we come out of the weekend, we're going to talk about attendance and what expectations are. How was Dolphin Country Music Fest overall? I honestly had the time of my life. It was the first time I've ever been up to Country Fest, and it was incredible. The, uh, it had nothing to do with the weather, which, by the way, was incredible up there, too, for the weekend. But the, the volunteers, have, they have close to 1,500 volunteers, the staff, the attendees. Everybody was in such good moods to have the event back. Um, the the organization the structure there was was, was first class it's a world class venue there the artists were got to meet and talk to a bunch of them were were so excited to be back um, people love country fest and and I had no idea the magnitude of it I kind of had in the you know back of my mind what it'd be like and, and just blew my expectations away so 
Um, the voice is a bit raspy and uh, brain was a bit foggy as it should be coming out of Country Fest uh, weekend, but honestly, I had a time of my life. Awesome. Good to hear. Do you know what the attendance was overall? Yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of what they were planning and expecting. It was, it was around 60% of what one might see on a normal year. And that, that was fine. They went with all Canadian artists this year. Um, like a lot, of, and I, I think Folk Fest is doing very similar plan where with the big festivals coming out of, of the pandemic, you, you have to be a bit risk adverse. So you don't want to be spending a million dollars plus on the massive artists, you know, whether it be the, the Eric churches of the world or the Chris Stapletons where there's a chance all of a sudden there might be border issues or if Omicron was great coming out and these guys need to book their artists way in advance. So they, they did the right thing. They booked all Canadian. I'll tell you what, not one artist I saw, I'm not in a massive country music. Guy, not one artist I saw was disappointing. They absolutely crushed it out there. So, um, the tenants was great, and I think it's kind of what they budgeted and planned for, and uh, it went according to plan. It was awesome. Well, that's good to hear, and I, I know that that's what we're delving into today on 680 CGOB is just overall attendance and what normal expectations are. We just saw a National Hockey League season where most Canadian teams didn't have sellouts prior to the playoffs, and, and where we're sort of easing back into this um, a, a huge event, events and attendance. Uh, you book bands as you have for years with Super Spike, Western Canada's largest outdoor volleyball and ultim- ultimate tournament and also two-day concert series. Uh, is 60% realistic for, for festivals, for major concerts before we get into Super Spike? Is that what most people who book and, and promote are, are sort of looking at? That's a success given the parameters of what they're dealing with right now? I think it depends on multiple factors, including, you know, demographics, location, things like that. But it's not far out of reach, right? We, for, for Super Spike, we actually, we budgeted uh, on the nose what you were saying, 40% attrition, um, four teams and registration. And you don't really know until the event comes what it's going to be like because the, you know, with Super Spike team registration, we're already at well over 200 teams, which is amazing, but those are the long-standing teams that you know were familiar with the event pre-pandemic. Um, uh, they know about it. We usually get quite a few last-minute teams and walk-up crowds from the from the younger demographic, and we're all aware of that because of the pandemic. There's you know people that are in the 18 to 22 year old age demographic that have never been to Super Spike, and they haven't had in-person university classes where they usually find those groups of friends to say, hey, let's put a team in, um, let's go have some fun. So it's a lot easier, I think, for a person to grab a friend and to go to a concert. But for something like Super Spike, where you need six to ten friends to put in a team, um, we're anticipating uh, quite a bit of attrition, which is fine. Again, we budgeted accordingly to get the event back off the ground. And we'll, we'll end up somewhere. I think we'll do a bit better than that still. I mean, right now... It's tough, but I'm I'm still thinking it'll be closer to 30% attrition probably. But, you know, again, I think that's the norm of what we're seeing across the board. July 22nd to 23rd, Maple Grove Rugby Park, Super Spike is back again. Uh, largest outdoor volleyball and ultimate tournament in Western Canada in the two-day concert series. And so that's just sort of business as usual, Greg. I, I would presume trying to sell something out for any magnitude of event, whether it's a tournament such as yours or, you know, a festival or just maybe even a concert, the expectation to sell something out is too soon and in, in sort of getting back to reality of, of what we've known prior to the pandemic. Yeah, and I think as the summer goes along, um, 
you'll probably see attendance start to pick up, and especially in the fall. Now, I'm assuming, again, the pandemic, fingers crossed, you know, we're, we're past the worst of it. Uh, but as people get out and are more comfortable with the crowds, um, more comfortable with, you know, um, getting out of that routine where a lot of us were stuck at home for, for close to two years, things will slowly get back into what that new norm is. And what that new norm is going to be, we, we still haven't figured out completely. But for Super Spike, you know, we have a three-year plan to get back to those numbers. So like I mentioned, this year we're expecting anywhere from up to 40% attrition. Um, we hope to get back to those pre-pandemic numbers we saw in 2019 and before, you know, in three years. So, I, I mean, that's what we're doing for Super Spike. And I think a lot of other events like Country Fest come this fall, you know, expectations are that they're going to be looking at booking those bigger acts again for, for 2023 and beyond. So, again, my assumption is a lot of us festival uh, organizers are going to be doing the same. Uh, only about 30 seconds left. Do you want to give us a little little insight, little clue into who might be coming to Super Spike to perform? Oh, well, Super Spike's easy. I mean, we, we have Delaney Jane and, and uh, Rev Headline to, to book for this year. So that's, you know, we're really happy with that. They're, they're your typical high-energy acts for that 18- to 32-year-old demo, that Super Spike attracts. So, yeah, really happy with that. And, again, Canadian acts for us, and, and, and they're going to be an absolute blast in the hit fest this year. So looking forward to it. Awesome stuff. We appreciate the insight both on Super Spike, but also booking and what you expect for Super Spike this year and, and your insights on Dauphin. And just having you on, Greg, it sounds, it sounds magical on the radio. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Anytime, Jim. <laughs> Kevin Donnelly, Senior Vice President, Venues, Entertainment, True North Sports Entertainment, joins me now. We're going to continue to talk about what we're talking about going into the weekend, the return of festivals, concerts. Kevin, how are you today? I'm, I'm good, except for, you know, I could use a little more sunshine in my life, but you're you're it for today, I think, Jim. Oh, wow. If you're relying on me for sunshine, <laughs> you've got darker times ahead than ever, but I appreciate the kind words. Uh, yeah. We've had you on, so as we were previewing most of the festivals and concerts that are returning and everything like that, we've had you on for a number of months now just talking about mm-hmm. that you've never been busier, and we understand that. What we wanted to ask you about is what's realistic expectations in the industry right now? Our good friend Greg Prashesnik was up at at Country Fest and said they were hoping for 60% attendance. They got it. His Super Spike event, he's hoping for 30% as people ease back into this. What are realistic expectations for your shows um, coming, uh, well, we're still in the pandemic, but coming out of the past two years? Well, I think what, you know, the, the word that is being used a lot is inconsistent. And, the, you know, that, that, that shows that really, you know, there are some in our industry that, that really are bulletproof. So, you know, we, we announced a number of months back, you know, the Foo Fighters were going to go on tour. And, of course, prior to the drummer passing away, that show sold out across across the world. So um, things that that should sell out, should do well, are still doing doing well. Um but but everything else is kind of a grind. Everything else has a component of the audience isn't ready to come back or, you know, there's still some sort of reluctance. So we're seeing ticket sales sell in a different pattern. We're seeing um, lower numbers of tickets sell on the on-sale date, but then they sell consistently through the campaign. So, you know, we're just getting back into it. We've been working hard for a while, but, you know, we've been working hard rescheduling old dates and not putting new dates on sale. So we're just now to the point where we're putting shows on sale and then seeing them play out. And, you know, life is tough. We're having to work hard, spend more on advertising, work harder on social messaging, trying to get the word out that the show is coming. Um, But those that do come are having, 
you know, they're having good times. There's good indicators. T-shirt sales are up. Food and beverage sales are up. So those that come like to come and party hardy. But, uh, you know, life isn't, it's not the roaring 20s or that kind of thing that someone was predicting. Right. When inflation hits too, that's got to hurt as well. Um, but I'm wondering also in inflation times, do you find that, you know, maybe not as many shows from, from certain individuals, but maybe the ones they do go to, they really enjoy? Yeah, well, we're, we're, you know, from the, from the content side, from the product side, we haven't seen the impact of these gas prices. And people have to understand, and I think it's easy to understand, that this is a, this is a mobile industry that moves from town to town in trucks and buses. So the gas impact is a very, very real impact. Like, you know, we're, we're all hoping for, you know, a, a bit of a calming down in ticket prices. They've gone through the roof in the last, you know, five to ten years. I don't know that this gas price is going to soften the blow of ticket prices. It, it, it'll give another reason why a concert ticket price has to be over 100 bucks for a mediocre seat. So, you know, we have Sean Mendes this week. It travels in 22 semi-trailers. The wow. price for that transport has probably doubled in the last year So when, since, since they started planning that tour. So it's, it's a tough grind. Uh, the shows are still coming. They, the gas price, the inflation, for sure it's got to be hitting the household. It's got to be hitting the consumer. We haven't seen it hit the planning of the concert planners yet, but it's got to come too. Is it fair to say for for most shows, other than the giants like the Foo Fighters or something like that, that the the idea of a sellout is un, unrealistic right now? I think it's not as easy as it once was. That's for sure. I think that you know um, I, we are in a, a a phase where we're trying to you know reteach ourselves and relearn how the consumer is going to respond. Like we put Michael Bublé on sale. And he's a huge artist, and we didn't sell out on the on sale. So you'll see more advertising for Michael Bublé, for example, over the course of the whole campaign. I also think that with the pandemic, we moved so many shows so many times that, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were putting shows like Celine Dion or Michael Bublé. They'd go on sale 8 or 10 or 12 months before the show. I think people are now going, well, let's wait and see if this show is even going to happen. So we're hoping that people get more comfortable with it and and continue to buy tickets over the campaigns and that by the time the show arrives, they actually have bought the tickets and are sitting in the seat. How challenging is this throughout your career at this time right now? And I would assume nothing's been more challenging than the pandemic. Truly, nothing has. I mean, you know, this industry never seen anything like that in 100 plus years. So, you know, it's tough. I mean, it's really tough to try to understand when you when you're supposed to advertise, when you're supposed to put a campaign together that's going to catch people's attention, cut through the clutter, get to their iPhone, get to their inbox and help them make a decision to buy a ticket. So we're learning. We're trying to reinvest and invest wisely and we're trying to you know create excitement these are supposed to be fun occasions where people get together and bond and enjoy the benefits of humankind and the you know the brotherhood and sisterhood of getting together with like-minded people so hopefully when a few more of these things happen and people are reminded just how great and how special these events are that they'll you know buy more tickets a bit more frequently yeah, I really appreciate the insight, Kevin. Uh, let us know what's uh, on the horizon here. Any 
new secrets coming out or, or I know you're busier than <laughs> ever, but uh, um, how is everything going into July? Well, we, you know, we, we have some great shows coming, folks. We've got Russell Peters tonight. He's a huge international success out of Ontario, comedian tonight at the arena. Sean Mendez, again, another Canadian, a worldwide global superstar who's playing Thursday. Then we're into Classic Rock, John Fogarty. Cirque du Soleil is back. You know, that was a company that laid off 5,000 people in the pandemic and now are back on the road and coming in early August. So lots coming, lots at the Burton Cummings Theatre. Go to the websites. Find something that you like. I'm sure there's something there. And get together with your friends and come out to see a great show. Appreciate your time and insight. And if it's any um, consolation, when I went to Chris Stapleton, it was the first show in a couple of years, and I went crazy, Kevin. Like I, just I saw went, that. Yeah, I yeah. Saw it so happen. <laughs> I, I apologize. I couldn't contain myself. It was just so good to be out. But I appreciate yeah. your time and insight, as always. Look forward to seeing more shows. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Kevin Donnelly, uh, Senior Vice President, Venue and Entertainment.